Uh, we're in uh, Revelation chapter 13 this morning. I invite you to turn there in your Bibles. Revelation 13, read the whole chapter. It's actually picking it up at the very last sentence of chapter 12. All right, let's hear God's word being read and give our attention to it. And he stood on the sand of the sea, that is the dragon. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast, and they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of the people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not to worship, who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is, the name of the beast, or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, that the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. It's God's word, and we need help. I need help. So we unpack it this morning. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, which you have breathed out by your Holy Spirit. You made it possible to have for us to have it in this book. And we know it is for us. As strange as some of these things in this passage are, Father, you are, you are using it to conform us ultimately to the image of your Son. And we want that to happen, Father. Lord, as the one who's called to proclaim this, I need your help. We need to hear above and beyond the sermon of this man, me, we need to hear you speak to our hearts. And I pray you would do that by your spirit. So I ask that you would give us all ears to hear you, hearts to receive from you, and 
the faith to respond as we ought. For the glory of Jesus, amen. I recently saw a, uh, a video. It was a, a Muslim man railing against a Christian about the doctrine of the Trinity. Uh, the substance of his rant was that the Christian uh, often hears you know, from, from those who, who are other monotheists, like Muslims claim to be, the word Trinity is not in the Bible, which is absolutely true. It's not. But the distinction of the persons of the Godhead is really not a doctrine that even by casual students of the Bible it is, is in dispute. Um, and my point here isn't to defend the doctrine of the Trinity this morning. My point is this, that while followers of Islam do not understand the doctrine of the Trinity, they do not understand God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Satan does. And we see that here. He understands it enough that in his diabolical plan, he has made it part of his activity in the world to counterfeit it in some sense. The work of Satan seeks to take what God does and wreck it, as Jesus described about the thief whose motivation is only to steal, kill, and destroy, as much could be said about Satan himself. Now, I've said this before about Revelation, and if you've been tracking with me since the beginning, uh, it's apocalyptic symbolism. As John described in chapter 12, the woman and the dragon are signs. They, they point to a greater reality. That last chapter illustrated that, that cosmic conflict between Satan and the Christ and his redeemed. Now, in Revelation 13, what this shows us is how Satan has been working to lead people astray. How he works to take their ultimate allegiance and rob God of the worship that is due him. In that last chapter, chapter 12, the red dragon depicting Satan was thrown down to earth. That's chapter 12, verse 13. And he proceeded to make war on the people of God. Verse 17 of chapter 12. How, how the dragon makes war on the saints is what's in view here in Revelation 13. Now, most translations, except for the ESV that we use here, uh, they put the last sentence of chapter 12 at the beginning of 13. So that's why I, I read it that way. Uh, so that we get the full picture of what's happening. Referring to the red dragon at the end of 12, Satan, it says, he, the dragon, stood on the sand of the sea. And from there, the dragon, as it were, calls up two beasts, the first out of the sea and the second out of the earth. So you have the dragon and you have two beasts, an unholy trinity. And this is what they're up to in the world, we're told. They're up to blasphemy, persecution, and deception. Now, of course, this is in the Bible, but I'd ask myself the question, why do we need to put the focus on the work of Satan? Why do we need to do that? Well, we who belong to Christ are under attack. We're under attack from Satan. And we need to understand how he carries out his diabolical scheme. He does it through the beasts. And so the exhortation that is given in verse 10, the second part of verse 10, is for us this morning. Here is a call for the endurance and the faith of the saints. This is the call for the endurance and faith of the saints. And that's for us, brothers and sisters. We read this. We understand this. We take this to heart so that we can endure and remain faithful. 
Because there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus will return. That's the good news. I mean, we're in the middle of this story. The good news is at the end, Christ will return triumphant. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. But we're not there yet. And we, we have to endure some things before that day. So those three headings, I'm going to unpack this under the three headings, blasphemy, persecution, and deception. Bad things that are happening in the world. First of all, let's look at blasphemy. And we see that in the text, of course. The word. Now, I've experienced it. Maybe some of you have too. But it's deeply offensive to be publicly slandered. If you've experienced that, it's very disheartening. It's very disturbing. When you slander someone, you, you're speaking things about that person that are not true. And in a legal sense, we call it libel. But when that's directed towards God or about God or against God, the Bible calls it blasphemy. To blaspheme God is to slander him, to disrespect his name, to deny his sovereign authority. It's to speak evil about him or even attribute evil to him. And that's what Satan causes to happen through the first beast. We see this beast rising out of the sea. Now, what's the significance of that? Again, Revelation, apocalyptic symbolism. The sea represents uh, that which is evil. It's, it's the place, the depths, or the place where evil comes from. Now, where would I get that? Because we see in the picture at the end, in chapter 21 of Revelation, in the new heavens and the new earth, the sea is no more. There's no more evil. There's no more sea. There's no more threat. There's no more dragons coming from the, the midst of the depths of the heart of the sea. There's no beasts. No sea. No source of evil. And this, this beast uh, that comes up out of the sea has got ten horns, seven heads, ten diadems, blasphemous names on his head. Now, he looks very much like the dragon, the red dragon in the last chapter. Horns and heads and diadems being symbolic of the totality of that evil power on earth. And it's interesting how he describes this. This beast is like a leopard. He's got bear's feet, a lion's mouth, also horns. Now, if you're familiar with Daniel, you'll see that this beast is, is a kind of a composite of those four beasts in Daniel. In Daniel 7, exactly. And those beasts there are symbolic of oppressive earthly kingdoms. So we take this together, and what we have is, is the, the, the amalgamation of those oppressive kingdoms in Daniel, now combined into one oppressive kingdom. And what we see here, and the way it's presented, I, I take it as, is this beast is, is effectively a counterfeit, where, where the dragon is the counterfeit, seeking worship that belongs to God, the red dragon, Satan. This beast that he draws out of the sea is effectively his Messiah of sorts. He's a counterfeit of Christ in relation to, to the Father. Again, the beast looks like the dragon. And I'll remind you from Scripture that Christ himself is the image of the invisible God. Colossians 1.15 This beast that rises out of the sea, he has a mortal wound which appeared to be healed. Of course, Jesus was crucified and raised from the grave. And, and his disciples marveled to see him alive. And when the world, the whole world saw this beast with the mortal wound healed, they marveled at him. The dragon gave his power and throne and authority to the beast. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. 
the dragon then gives authority to the beast to be worshipped. And of course, Jesus, as the Son of God, takes true worship. The beast has blasphemous names on his head. In Revelation 19, Christ is pictured as a victorious rider on a white horse with a name on his head that only he knows. You see this, this counterpart that, that the evil one is devising to, to, to set up this alternative. And the beast then is given a mouth to utter blasphemous words. In the opposite sense where Christ is, has words that are exalting of God the Father. Well, we're told his authority is limited to 42 months. Here we have, again, three and a half years. And as I said last Sunday, that half of seven is symbolic of a, of a time cut short. And I take it, and I've been saying this all along, that I, I believe this represents the time between the first and second advent of Christ. Also called 1260 days, uh, the, the same period of time where the saints in the wilderness will be nourished. That's chapter 12. 14. It's time, times, and half a time, if you reckon it that way. So this space, he's given this opportunity, this, this boundary on his blasphemy during the time of 42 months, during that same time when the, the saints of God will be in the wilderness, but being nourished by the Lord. Now, what does this beast accomplish? Well, he gains the allegiance of the whole earth. That's verse 3. Such that, as a result of that, he receives worship and loyalty. Now, if we step back into the first century and the, the original readers of this, believers in those seven churches that Revelation was written to initially, Rome certainly looked like the beast in John's vision. Rome demanded ultimate allegiance. But that is not just limited. That beast is not just limited to the first century. This beast has reared its ugly heads throughout the centuries. And we can see this active today. Totalian, totalitarian governments in, in China and North Korea. They are thoroughly atheistic and they demand through force complete allegiance. But that's, that beast activity, I think, is also here in Western nations, much more subtle. They blaspheme God by denying his moral laws. Present day beast, if you will, promotes unbiblical morality. And, and just, you know, you may have been aware of this, that lewd drag show display at the White House a few months ago. It's just an example of the things that are being promoted. It's offensive. They deny God's sovereign rule over all things. Present-day governments in the West claim authority over, again, it Boastful words claiming authority over viruses, the weather. They have the answer to, to all things, poverty, disease. The government can take care of it. I know right-leaning people are very skeptical about the government, but, but that's the way in which it presents itself, completely ignoring God. I remember just during the pandemic, and I was just longing for one leader to stand up and say, let's call out to God to be merciful to us. But instead, it was just boastful words. We got this. We'll bend the curve. We'll, 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 we'll set this aside. We'll, we'll fix this. We got the vaccine. And that, that, that hubris just spilling out 
never once humbling themselves before God to say, we're at your mercy, God. Not once. And it's blasphemy. And it's built in to the system, isn't it? Well, that's what happens. That's the activity of that, that first beast. Well, next we see more activities of this beast. Persecution. Persecution. Again, that's happened through all the centuries too. Now, there are wars that are uh, seeking to gain territory. There are wars that happen for resources. There are wars that seek to gain power. But when, when a government authority attacks a group of people simply for what they believe, we call that persecution. And here's the thing. Persecutors often think, they often think they are doing good. When a governmental power blasphemes God, when they, when they deny the existence of God, when they, when they feel that they are the ultimate sense of authority, they are now unmoored from any sense of moral accountability before God, and so then they believe themselves to be the highest authority, and then they use that authority and power to persecute and in some nations, kill those who don't agree with them. It was Solzhenitsyn said this, to do evil, a human being must first of all believe that he's doing good. This is good in their minds because they're unconnected from, from God. They believe themselves to be the ultimate authority. Well, anyway, in John's vision, the beast, this demonically driven government, he's allowed, he's permitted. And I'm going to say, by the Lord, the Lord allows, overseeing all of this unfolding of history, God is permitting this to happen. He is allowed to make war on the saints, verse 7, and conquer them. Now, this is another representation of what John uh, recorded in 11.7. The beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them. And the reason they are conquered and killed is because they do not give their allegiance to the beast. They don't. They refuse to worship like the rest of the world do. And the rest of the world indeed does worship the beast because, we're told, verse 8, their names have not been written before the foundation of the world, in the book of the life, book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Now, at this point, John, it's, it seems like John shifts from telling us what's in the vision to interpreting what he sees. This is verse 9. So he's saying, okay, here's, here's what I've seen. This is what you've got to know. In fact, he's saying, listen up. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Listen up. Pay attention. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. It's an obvious statement. If anyone is to be slain with a sword, with the sword must he be slain. What he's saying is, look, captivity and death for some of the saints is a reality. This is what was told to the church in Smyrna, one of the seven churches. They're instructed be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. The crown of life. That's the crown of eternal life. And it is only for those 
whose names have been written in the book of life of the Lamb that was slain. This is the book of life. And it's a book belonging to the Lamb who is slain. The Lamb who is slain is Jesus, the Son of God, who took on human flesh, bearing our sin, taking it to the cross, dying there, being buried in a tomb, leaving our sin and all of its shame and all of its consequences there, rising again on the third day for all who have looked to Christ in faith. Their names are written in that book. That's you if you've trusted Christ. Now, the amazing thing is you didn't put your name there. That's you. You didn't write your name there. It was written there before the foundation of the world. The Apostle Paul wrote about the, the benefit of this in Ephesians chapter 1. I, I go there often. It encourages me greatly. It tells us that that one has been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he, that's the Father, chose us in him, that is Christ, before the foundation of the world. Brothers and sisters in Christ, your name has been written in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. And if it's there, it's there because the Father wrote it there in eternity past. It's the same thing that Jesus said when he was teaching in John chapter 6, John 6, 37. He says, all that the Father has given to me will come to me. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're on the outside, you're looking in and you're, you're wondering about what, this Christian faith is. Let me encourage you. I don't know. None of us know whose names are written there. But if you feel in your heart like, this is for me, let me encourage you. Trust in Christ today. Put your whole faith in Him. Know, know this, that the sin, the sin that would have condemned you before God the Father has been put on the Son of God so that that record can be wiped out. God made, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, hey, him who knew no sin to become sin for us. God made him sin in your place so that in him you might become the righteousness of God. And what that requires, friend, is faith. Trust. Trust that Christ has done it for you. And if indeed you do trust that, it means your name has been written in the book of life. The book of life that belongs to the Lamb who is slain. Now, what John is saying, what his vision is telling us, is that persecution and death are a reality for Christians. That was certainly true for first century Christians. Emperor Nero was particularly sadistic. It's well known that, that Christians were thrown into the arena with lions just for entertainment. Tacitus wrote that Nero used the bodies of Christians soaked in oil, hoisted up on poles, and lit as human torches. Sadistic stuff. Now, while that's not ex our experience here, we're not being killed for our faith, we know that it is happening in China, North Korea, and other places in the world. And when 
So Revelation is not written to just hear us in the West, but it's, a, it's for the whole world. And so this morning, today, there are believers perhaps going through the same part of Scripture who know that may be me tomorrow. Because the beast brought up out of the sea by the dragon is working to persecute the saints of God. And he is given permission to do it. Now, that's my final heading here. Deception. I never think, used to think that mass delusion was possible. I thought we'd matured enough through history to, to never repeat that kind of thing again. I, I no longer think so. For many people, if they hear and say something often enough, it eventually becomes true to them. And, and I think the motivation is usually fear. That was very true. Again, historically speaking, it was very true in Soviet Russia. The Bolsheviks, this is according to Solzhenitsyn, if you've read the Gulag Archipelago. It was true in Nazi Germany when otherwise good German citizens went along with the government and regarded the Jews among them with just disdain. They're less than. So that eventually they could be rounded up and put into the ovens. The most horrific act in history when otherwise good people said, I guess they're right. Well, we get that mass delusion happens today. And we see this, and just an example of the Supreme Court justice who literally does not understand XX and XY chromosomes determine the difference between male and female. Now, I, I think she probably does, but she's accommodating herself to a lie. And listen, if you bend to lies that may not impact you personally, well, why don't you just go, what, what's the harm? You will eventually swallow lies that do. And those who tell the lies will be able to tell you more lies because they've already captured your allegiance. And I think this is why, this is explaining, this is my illustration to understand how the first beast gets away with his stuff. Why does he continue to blaspheme? Why does he have this power? How does he get the allegiance of the world and seem to have free reign in persecuting the saints of God? It's because of the second beast. The second beast is the third person, in a sense, of the unholy Trinity. He is the counterpart in counterfeit of the Holy Spirit. Look at, look at what, how it's described. This beast is given authority of the first beast. Contrast that with Jesus who promised another comforter. I will send you a comforter. This beast makes the inhabitants of the earth worship the first beast. Well, the Holy Spirit is, is the one who enlivens, believer, enlivens believers to, to revere Christ and and give our worship, right? The second beast performs great signs. The Holy Spirit gave miraculous gifts to the apostles and empowers believers to minister to one another. The second beast gives breath to an image of the first beast, enabling that image to speak. The Holy Spirit descended on Jesus as his baptism, leading to his teaching ministry and healing ministry. And the key thing here, this second beast causes everyone to be marked. And we're told what that mark is, the 666. And just contrast that with the mark, with the seal of the Holy Spirit, 
for believers. So the first beast, I take it, is the Antichrist. And that second beast is the spirit of the Antichrist. So those who have the mark of the beast, that is those who have the spirit of Antichrist, give their ultimate allegiance to that first beast because the spirit of the Antichrist in them. And I take it that 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 beast has been in operation since Jesus was raised from the grave and ascended to heaven. This first beast continues to wreak havoc on earth because of the work of the second beast that deceives people. And again, we're told that the mark of the beast is 666. Now, what's the significance of that number? And it goes back to the symbolic nature of number in numbers in Revelation. This is how I understand it. I know some of you may see it differently. Seven, if seven is the number of divine perfection, we could say that triple seven is like, that's the ultimate, right? Well, six falls short of seven. And so triple six is really the opposite. It's the, it's the ultimate fall short. It's the ultimate not good, ultimate evil. Now, some of you may be able to identify this, with this. As a kid, I, I, I watched a film called A Thief in the Night. Does anybody remember that? Anybody see that? A Thief in the Night. It absolutely terrified me. I had an almost superstitious fear of the number 666. And I, I'm worried. Like, what if the license plate assigned to my car was WVX 666? What would I do? Would I turn it back in? Or, or what if the last three numbers on my social insurance card, that's what we have in Canada, it's like your social security number, groups of threes. Anyway, what if the last three digits was 666? What would I do? I can't get that back. But again, it's symbolic. There's no evil magic in that number that would doom me to hell if I were issued a credit card with the CCV 666. I know that's... It's just a number in a sequence. But here in Revelation, it's symbolic of something greater. We, not, we need not fear the number. This evil mark is really the counterfeit, as I've said, to the mark or seal of the Holy Spirit. This is what it says in Ephesians 1.13. When you heard the word of truth, I believe Aaron prayed this this morning. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. If you're sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, you cannot be taken over to the dark side. If you belong to the Lord, you're not going to have the 666 on your forehead and on your arm. You won't get the chip embedded. <laughs> you, you, won't, you won't belong to the evil one because you haven't been deceived. The 666 marks those who are deceived by the spirit of the Antichrist. The ones who have this mark are, as he says, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life who is slain. So again, if you've truly believed in Christ, you cannot unwittingly take this mark. Now, I want to just take a slight, slight explanatory detour here. I know some of you are, are maybe many, are convinced that this beast depicted here in Revelation 13, is a future eschatological person, a specific person who will show up. The way I see it, I'm just, I'm, this is the perspective I'm taking as I'm moving through Revelation. The way I see it, because John's vision recapitulates aspects of Daniel's vision 
in my mind, there's no reason to think that if a beast to Daniel was a kingdom, a power structure, a dominant human authority structure, a government, then I don't know that it is necessary that the beast in Revelation is any different. That's, that's how I see this. Now, let me dig down some proof texts against my view, and I, I want to acknowledge these. Again, just veering off into some um, scriptures that some of you are familiar with, so I just want to address those and, and just let you know where I'm going. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It describes there a man of lawlessness. And I think some take it that the man of lawlessness and the beast of Revelation 13 are one and the same. Now, again, acknowledging that some may differ from me, I know some of my fellow elders do, and they're, they're patient, and, that's, and I'm grateful for that. But let, let me just say, from my study, I've concluded the Apostle Paul in Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. He was comforting the believers there regarding Jesus' teaching from the Olivet Discourse, where, they, where he spoke of the day of the Lord, referring to the destruction of the temple in AD 70. And I take it that the man of lawlessness there that Paul is talking about was eventually revealed to be one Yohanan ben Levi, also known as John of Geshala. And you can look him up on Wikipedia. He shows up, uh, there's some detail about him in, um, in uh, Josephus, uh, Flavius Josephus, uh, Josephus um, uh, Jewish Wars. You'll find it there. But he was able to gain power and influence in Jerusalem, so wreaking so much havoc and creating civil war that, that Jerusalem became so weak that Titus just mowed right in and took over the city. So that's where I take it, and I separate that. And that's why I see that this beast is not an individual, but an authority structure, a government. And it's been operating ever since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. So back to the second beast. This second beast is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is what the Apostle John wrote about in his first and second letters. Here he tells us, or sorry, in those letters he tells us this, the Antichrist is coming Many have come. So he's not saying it's one. He's saying they're, they're coming, but there have been many. And that's in the first century. He describes the, the Antichrist as a liar. The one who has the spirit of the Antichrist denies the Father and the Son. It's the spirit that does not confess Jesus. It's many deceivers who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Those are what John says about Antichrist. Small a, Antichrist. And again, I know some of you hold to capital A, Antichrist, that eschatological figure that will appear at the end of time. What I'm saying is, wherever you land on that, whatever, whatever you, if you agree with my conclusions or not about the beast, what is true is that the spirit of the Antichrist is very much active in the world. And those who deny the Father and the Son, those who refuse to confess Jesus coming in the flesh, that's the source of it. That's the deception. And this message is already in our public schools. It's assumed, and we know this, it's assumed in enlightened conversation. And we know that the government is flirting with the idea, and then some lawmakers are even trying to criminalize certain religious speech. That spirit has so infiltrated even some so-called churches. And I say so-called because Jesus said he would build his church on the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I say they're so-called, but there are pastors. What I call them, wolves in sheep's clothing, who don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, who don't believe that he was raised from the grave. 
And clearly, they have the mark of the beast. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Now, for us as professing believers, the danger, the danger to us is not, not that there will be an outright affront to the core tenets of our faith in Christ. I think it's much more subtle. It is just simply the deception. It is going along with the lie. The lie that at the beginning seems to have very little significance. Just an example. Again, when you embrace small lies that may seem to have nothing to do with us because they say you should, then I think you're in danger of embracing the bigger lies. So just use the preferred pronouns. What's, what's the harm? Why, why stir things up? Just, just go to the gay wedding. And I think these things matter because they're just indicators of larger lies. It's the spirit of the Antichrist working in ways that aren't about Jesus so that we swallow the big ones. I think that once you accommodate yourself to seemingly insignificant lies, it becomes much more difficult to draw any moral boundary. If you refer to a male with a female pronoun, you're agreeing. In the moment, you're agreeing with the lie, saying, yeah, I, I'm with you. Now, let me say this. If you go to a, a gay wedding, which by biblical definitions, it cannot be a wedding, when you go and sit there, you're giving a kind of blessing to the union. You're saying, I hope it all works out. God bless you. Marriage is a holy covenant between a man and a woman before God. It's not possible for a man and a man or a woman and a woman to do that. And let me say, brothers and sisters in Christ, I know it will be difficult. Don't go. Have them over to your house after. Let them know why you didn't go. Let them know you love them. But don't bless it. It's my view. As Christians, we've got to understand what's going on. It's the spirit of the Antichrist who deceives people through small lies, deceives people into figuratively worshiping the image of the beast. And this spirit of the Antichrist, the Apostle Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 4.4 as the God of this world who has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is the image of God. They don't see the image of God in Christ. They fall to the image of the beast and give it allegiance. Brothers and sisters, in Christ, our eyes have been opened. We, we see our hearts, our hearts have been set free. We see the glory of Jesus. We know he is the image of God because we have the mark of the Holy Spirit. Now, we may be ostracized. We may face persecution for this. And then certainly in other parts of the world, they die for this. But take comfort. Christ, he told us, Christ has overcome the world. He has conquered the world through his own death and he gives victory to all who are is. And that victory, brothers and sisters, is not from death. It is through death. Inasmuch as Jesus died and gave us victory, we will die. Maybe at the hands of a persecutor or maybe from old age, but we will die. And it is through death that we discover 
the full blessings of eternal life. So, age may hasten it, or the hand of a persecutor, but we are victorious in Christ. Let me leave you with this. We, we sang it in sort of updated version, but Martin Luther's hymn, a couple stanzas of that. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure, for lo, his doom is sure. One little word shall fell him. And what Luther's talking about there is the word of Christ, the word of his mouth, will finally and fully crush him and send him off to the lake of fire. That day's coming, the second stanza. That word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The Spirit and the gifts are ours. Through whom, through him who with us sideth. That's the mark of the Spirit. And then he says this, and we have to be prepared for this. Let goods and kindred go. This mortal life also. The body, they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. What a glorious, glorious truth. And that's our hope, brothers and sisters. Listen, the work of the evil one hasn't touched us that much in this part of the world. But there are brothers and sisters this morning, today, who see the beast in all of its ugly workings, invading their lives, stealing their goods, killing them. We need to pray for their strength, for their faith and faithfulness through and endurance through that. And I don't know what will befall us in this generation. Feels like it's getting worse. Who knows? Maybe the pendulum will swing. We don't know. But before Christ returns, there's going to be suffering. And that may involve some of us. So, look at what the evil one is doing in the world. The dragon is at work through his unholy trinity, blasphemy, persecution, and deception. And because you're in Christ, brothers and sisters, you won't fall for any of it. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this picture of what's going on. And, and Father, it is, it is in some senses frightening, um, horrific, but because we've been marked by your spirit, we know that we are eternally protected, even if we should lose our very lives. So God, my prayer is just for all of us that you would keep us faithful, keep us in your word, strengthen us to endure whatever we may have to face, and give us a boldness Boldness to stand for what is true in this world. As more and more people around us are, are sucked into the deception of the beast, the spirit of the Antichrist, God, cause us to be winsome, respectful, but firm in our convictions so that Christ through us may be glorified. And we pray it all in his name. Amen.